I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. In today's episode, we explore what could happen because of Kubernetes, uh, how Kubernetes has changed our industry. This is part of a multi, uh, multi-podcast conversation in which we are going to think about ways in which Kubernetes could go away or could influence other technologies in such a way to be transformative um, apart from Kubernetes. In this discussion, we went down the path of what we have learned from Kubernetes and how it influences other aspects of IT operations, architecture, and design, and really explore the impact that the expectation for declarative immutable uh, operational constructs will play into other aspects of our system. We talk about micro OS, microkernels. We talk about how operations are staged. We talk about the need for declarative OS, um, really banking on this idea that what Kubernetes has built extends into other areas, becomes na- second nature in other platforms because we've uh, fully adopted the rationale and operating models of Kubernetes. I think that's a fascinating topic um, and one we explore in a great deal of detail during the discussion and know you will enjoy it. All right, topic of the day. I think this will take some uh, time in discussion was uh, the world without Kubernetes. Um, and I didn't mean like the hypothetical, like what would happen if Kubernetes had never been created, it was uh, scenarios around um, an evolution beyond Kubernetes. What what are ways that we see Kubernetes, um, the evolution of Kubernetes moving uh, in ways that might outdistance Kubernetes? I'll plant as a starting point the idea that Kubernetes as is, its current API and incarnations, are so widely adopted that it's not going to easily transform into Kubernetes 2.0 um, without it being significantly disrupted. So there could be a Kubernetes 2.0. That's part of what I want to talk about. But what would it leave behind? What would it add? How would it be different than Kubernetes uh, 1.0? Or the idea that there could be an adjacency that comes up where somebody's like, aha, Kubernetes showed us the way we have, um, you know, an alternate thing. And um, it, you know, it it takes over from adoption, Uh, call it the Heroku effect, um, where Heroku established some really significant patterns, but then um, didn't keep the market as a a critical mass. Um, Docker Swarm. Kubernetes, you can say Kubernetes evolved out of that. Um, that's, that was the that was the topic. Yeah, do you have a, a thought a thought on where to start? I, I do. Yeah. So, and, and there's more regarding the, the second part there. So, okay. so ideas from Kubernetes that that are starting to be adopted somewhere else. And one thing that. Um, that the containers in particular has, has popularized, but Kubernetes mm-hmm. has brought it essentially to the forefront 
is um, declarative state uh, state management and ephemeral work. Oh, sorry, uh, yeah, ephemeral work. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do see already a trend of this being brought back into. Um, I, I guess what you. I don't want to call them legacy because they're, they're not really legacy, but like older, more established environments, for perhaps I should call it. Like, uh, take a look at, for example, Nick's OS, where um, it, it takes a, a, a very much containerized and un- declarative approach to, to package management. So, oh, interesting. Okay. I can see I can see the rise of Nix being akin to people liking the the Kubernetes declarative style and the immutability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the only question is like how long will it take for regulatory bodies to to follow with this? Because right now, like if you want to be in a controlled environment like FedRAMP or so so on. Um you have to have you have to be meeting certain guidelines which are pretty much written towards a standard type of OS that is mutable. Okay. And um and it will be interesting to to see how long it will take to for these guidelines to to start acknowledging that certain environments are immutable. Or certain parts of environments are immutable, and, and therefore, certain assurances are no no longer required, or, or in fact, are would be detrimental because you you would need to disable some of those um, immutable controls. Wait, you would disable the immutable control? So let, let's say, for example, you, and, and this is something that, that happens with, with, with Kubernetes already, and yeah. that you need to have certain guidelines. But like, or typical guidelines include things like you need to have an agent installed on, on your nodes, or you need to do a network mm, okay. scan oh, and, and enumerate your assets. Well, in order to do a network scan inside Kubernetes, particularly if you have uh, network policies in, in place. You need to break a lot of the firewall rules that you already have in, in order to allow to use the scan to happen. Right. Uh, if you're using a cloud-managed uh, Kubernetes um, cluster, um, then you may be using the cloud provider's own OS for the nodes, mm-hmm. and, and you, you're not able to install the agents. So... Um, so making these changes would actually be detrimental to your security posture because then you're customizing your base system um, uh, and you're no longer re- relying on the cloud provider's ATOs. Okay, but that's that's moving in a direction. And this is, the, I guess this is the question, right? In the past, we've talked about the benefit of not having to worry about that, treating it like a locked box. So in what you're describing, you would take back over control from that, or is that part of a more, like a 
Actually, that's maybe this is one of the questions. Is is there a trend line here that says people would regain control of their Kubernetes infrastructure and rely less on the prepackaged pieces? No, I, I, I'm arguing in the, the opposite. So that okay. I, I'm saying that that current regulatory um, uh, rules sure. typically assume full control. Like top to bottom. Ah, yeah, they do. They they, they make they make no. They, they have very little provisions for delegation of assurance. And I think that immutable and declarative systems are going to start blurring that line, where where you you'll be able to say, um, I control things up uh, down to this level and anything below that is provided as is by this vendor and I trust them to do the right thing. And, and right now, like okay. we're starting to see that happening in terms of cloud services. I think there is an opportunity for that to happen at the OS level as well. And would that basically what would your what I'm, what it sounds like you're describing to me is like Nix is treating OS images more like we treat containers today. Exactly. So that's an outgrowth of, of the declarative style and ability making its way down. Um, we thought this was a big thing when containers were first uh, shooting up around. Um, Oh, what did they call it? Micro OS. But Nix isn't a micro OS. It, it, the micro OSs were um, very, or, or custom, not custom rolled, but they're, they're pre-baked a lot like Nix was. Micro kernels, that's what they call them. Um, well, well, my, some are some not some exactly aren't. the same. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, there, there, there are some, some similarities there. Well, there, there's would one of the things that made microkernels really hard was building. <laughs> building was hard. Containers were much easier to manage um, and build. And then um, there, there's not a lot of control plane surface for them. I mean, you're what you're suggesting is that having um, you know like a, a Kubernetes-like control plane for a immutable, more immutable OSs. Um, not necessarily. Uh, I, I'm talking. Idea. I'm talking more about the idea that, um, and then, and this is something that that we're seeing also in, in the consumer space, like for example, with with, with Flatcar and, and Snap packages, mm. where um, applications are starting to become namespaced themselves. So. So in, with a classic system, mm. one of the, the big problems with controls is that your applications and your services are commingling on the same system. So that the, there is no clear separation between, let's say, your web server uh, uh, and, and your database because uh, other than, than them running as a separate user. Okay. but when you bring 
containerization. And, and this is, I mean, this is something that's that's brought out by containerization, but it doesn't have to be done with containers itself. Is that you can create more isolated deployments of, of your workloads so that they're independent of each other. Uh, and have certain guarantees that they're not able to touch certain parts of each other. Okay. And therefore, you don't need to check whether, um, oh, whether, for example, your, your container is, or, or your, your restricted application is able to, to write to a certain location because Again, it, it 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 runs in the equivalent of a truth. So again, I, it, we're we're still in the early yeah. stages of this. Okay. But uh, I I think that there is an opportunity for growth in in, in that direction. So I mean what what you're describing to me is a Kubernetes-like control plane for OSs, which but all, that include that has to include the Docker-like build environment for OSs too, which I guess is suggesting Nix is provided. Huh. Uh, yeah, I, I guess you could say that. Um, and I mean, there, there are there are some presents for this already. Like, take a look at Cloudinet, for example. Okay. It, it, it is a way of, of declaratively managing the, the state of, on, of an OS, at least when, when it comes to bootstrapping it. Um, there is mm. still the failure or, or the, the missing aspect of continuous re reconciliation and, and drift control. Yeah. Um, but... I mean, that there's no reason why it couldn't be extended to to do that. Well, we, what is, we have a lot of lessons learned over the past decade. I mean, if I was going to look at the lessons from Kubernetes towards that type of environment, what you're describing is right something that doesn't. Um, you're 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 not you're giving up control. Right? The, the the thing about Kubernetes is. You're you're much more saying here's a container I need you to run it. I don't I'm not going to attract where you run it. I'm not going to you know I'm going to tell you how many copies I need. I'm going to tell you um, some some operational parameters for it. Um, a way to check to see if it's up. But I'm, I'm giving up control in a way that um, hmm. yeah. Uh, but yeah. okay, most consumers that that is sufficient. Like if you take it a analogy with with a car, like how many people uh, tweak their their vehicle's timings, or, or versus just relying on on the manufacturer to to do it for them, or or the ECU. Well, I, I think that you were right that to make that work, there's a degree of um, build process that needs to be standardized. Um, I mean, containers are much more transparent to operate and manage than a full OS. Right, the challenge. They are. Uh, up, uh, hmm? 
Well, I mean, there, there's been some some iterations, even from a let's see, a, a BM standpoint, to be able to facilitate declarative configuration, whether it's via Packer or Packer in conjunction with config management, or even I think some folks have gone the the interesting route of uh, trying to to jam a, a Docker file like capability on top of VMs. Hmm. Okay. Yep. So I think a lot uh, of, of what's been brought up is taking many of those management or operating paradigms and bringing them back into uh, the the existing environments or existing deployments, as opposed to to thinking just simply, okay, I can only take advantage of those types of operating models when I'm using cloud native or when I'm using Kubernetes. Many of those things translate across the, the the new estate as well as the older estate. Um, um, mm -hmm. We're also seeing a lot, a lot of this development happening in mobile OSs because they, for the most part, uh, mobile OS applications are fairly well self-contained. Uh, some of them, yeah, they might mean might require exceptions, but. Like when, when we look at the security improvements in, in Android and in iOS, um, it, I mean, the difference between now and 10 years ago is night and day. So, huh. so it, I, I, I think we, we've learned a lot of lessons uh, now. We, we just haven't yet applied them all to, um, to all of the environments that we manage, particularly when it comes to the, the server side. Would, would that be a, a hybrid between you know a lightweight OS and a container where you'd actually be running VMs with Android OS in it as your as your OS environment? Uh, I I don't think Android is, is going to be doing that. Or or uh, sorry, you're talking it about seems, the mobile it seems, environments. It, it seems like there. I mean, Linux is really not that heavy, so I, I don't see. You know, maybe it's maybe from a hardening. I, I still don't think um, it's more right, hardened. Yeah. To a degree, you're kind of the describing Steam OS, where you, you oh, have. Oh, interesting. Okay. You, you have an ephemeral, uh, sorry, you have a, an immutable portion, which is the core OS. And, and yes, you, 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 can, you can give yourself root and, and then modify it. But the next time that there's a system update that gets reset, uh, and then you have the user space, which is all um, like almost all managed by a like flat pack like uh, systems. So um, like we, we're already seeing that coming in in like into the consumer space. Uh, and yes, like this is a very domain specific application. Uh, but um, I, I think there is a good argument to to be made that for for enterprise uh, systems management, uh, it should likely we should likely adopt this as well because um, like the the only the only place where we we would would really be missing or or having trouble is with some more of the tightly coupled systems, which I would argue 
like should be decoupled in the first place anyway. What does it take to like is is this an add-on system? Does does Kubernetes evolve here? Uh, I, I wouldn't consider this right, like what, as, as what you're describing is, is is equal parts DLS, but I I think the control infrastructure is you know, the co-evolution. It is, yeah. Okay. So I I mean I I think it it would require a cultural change. I mean, we, we still have uh, a significant portion of the, the sysadmin community uh, going in and, and making manual changes to, to their OSS whenever they need something done. Um, particularly newcomers to, to the community, they are, they're like, if you look at the, the sysadmin subreddit, there is cost. There's a consistent trend of newcomers saying, like, okay, I like I'm doing this. It, like, isn't there a better way of, of doing it? And, and, and then someone's saying, like, yeah, like you, you use like Intune or, or something like that. So the, the tools are already there. And 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 then for the most part, they're, they're off the shelf already. It's just we are we're still teaching OSs. Uh, uh, and we're still learning OSS, um, like with the with the standard model, and it's going to take. I I, oh, that's at least I think it's yeah I I just I think it's going to take um eff- uh, sorry immutable components becoming more commonplace before. Uh, we see that kind of paradigm shift towards more widespread widespread adoption. So, so it's yeah, it's kind of a chicken egg problem, uh, but it's not insurmountable. So some of that I would say you have to uh, you have to tell Microsoft to change how Windows works. Uh, that's usually where I, I tell people <laughs> immutable falls down pretty quick is when I'm standing up a domain controller or some sort of third-party application on Windows to where maybe in theory I could possibly get it to work in an immutable fashion. But the moment I do that, the vendor no longer offers support for that application on that that configuration. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're they're kind of working towards it already, like with the the various subsystems, Mm. like uh, the Windows subsystem for Android now. It's uh, like Essentially, it, it should allow you to, to at least partially do this. Um, and Microsoft has been, they, I mean, they, they have been making inroads towards automation and containerization, and like particularly with Windows Server, like the, the, the new situation of Windows Server lets you run with a much more reduced footprint than, than before. Like, uh, it's just, Again, it, it takes time to adopt, and it's it takes time to adapt as well. Well, it's I, I know like we do like the Windows stuff we do is all immutable provision, right? It, it it drives because it's so hard to provision and bootstrap Windows <laughs> by comparison. But it you know you end up it you know, people have to build snapshot and build images to to drive the deployment. 
um, which is, is a better, it's better. Um, but it's still a hard, it's, it's hard. Fooling around, it's really tricky. And the, the uh, control mech, control planes are hard around the also. I'd say more than anything else, it's the state piece. And even an example like domain controller, in theory, I could possibly rip out a domain controller, add one back every time I want to patch uh, a particular server. But then I have to try and address consistency with an Active Directory domain and then do that across the file file server and the print server and the DHCP server. Uh, That's where it starts to become very difficult. And, and once again, my, I always go back to third-party applications. I think one of the things coming from the my past experiences, I think there's a, a thought in many of the, the DevOps type spaces where like every company develops applications in-house. Um, and there are a lot of companies, most companies do not develop apps in-house. And I have to go out to a third-party vendor to get that application. And I'm, I'm in essence, beholden to how, how they tell me to install and configure the actual application. That is true. This is one of the reasons why VMs are, are going to be around for a while. It takes a long time to change how something like that's packaged. I'm thinking about some friends I have in the telco space. Rocky's been in those conversations, too. And they were like, "Yeah, these these applications we have are going to be VMs. We're not we're not reporting them to run in anything." Yep. Yeah, and yeah, some of it is you know third party. Some of it is the old style IT, and some of it is especially with companies like uh, uh, telecom. It's you've spent so much time doing the secure, security stuff and whatnot. You're uh, and vetting the whole app that you're not going to be changing it much or allowing much change to it. And you're not going to use dynamic li- libraries loaded from the internet and stuff like that. So, well, I, let me ask a very concrete question from that perspective because I, I feel like this is part of what. Martez and Klaus are talking about, which is if, if Kubernetes came with a change in how things are configured, sort of this, you know, the 12-factor app stuff that Heroku's uh, started that really picked up steam. I mean, part of the idea with, with Kubernetes is you have an immutable object, you're injecting a whole bunch of configuration at, at startup. I don't think cloud init is, is the same thing because the systems aren't, you know, not, and unless you wrote it that way, these applications are not designed to have configuration injected from a bootstrapping perspective. Not services; they're OS. Am I, am I overstating the chasm? Well, so here? I would I would say that it a different um, or different point in time of the actual service standup. But in many ways, that's what Ansible and Chef and Puppet have done uh, from a configuration standpoint. So mm. in theory, I mean, most of the time you could use a cloud init to, to do that. Uh, really, it's just all come down to whether it's a stateless or stateful application. And even from the Kubernetes side, while there's definitely been a lot of inroads with stateful applications, that's still a 
uh, I think a very murky area in most people's heads of even like the idea of should you run your databases in Kubernetes? Uh, I think there's still a lot of uh, contention around what the the quote unquote correct answer for that is. Hmm. So from that perspective, would it, for some of these, and maybe this is what we're seeing like with NixOS, that, 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 that first we're gonna see a transformation in this more dynamic OS configure, OS management space through state less applications? I mean, I think that would be, I mean, Kubernetes has been revolutionary and it's still, you know, more, more stateless stuff than anything. I don't know about that. I'm like, you know, stateless is easier. Um, I, I don't know if, um, if, hmm. or cases like NixOS will, will need to make a distinction between stateful and stateless because, um, the, the scope is much smaller. Um, so okay. I, I don't think anyone would, would, would bat an eye if you said you were running a database on, on, a, on a Linux system. Uh, so, um, and, and as Marta said, like we already have the presence of configuration management with Ansible and Puppet and Chef. So, this is, this could be seen as just another iteration where we're shifting left on the configuration management. And um, instead of having an ad hoc or, or, or layered on tool like Puppet or, or Ansible that, uh, that uses the, um, the existing tooling that an OS has, like app or, or uh, DNF uh, to, um, to manage the packages, instead you're saying like, well, what if the package manager itself on the, uh, is the configuration management and it's all the declarative and it's, and it's all centrally manageable. Uh, so you, you're, you're essentially skipping the middleman with that. I think the big piece is going to be mm. the mechanism that simplifies the interface between application developer and operator. Uh, and what I mean by that is traditionally the challenge I've seen at the configuration management layer, uh, in particular with like Puppet and Chef, is that oftentimes it would be the, the operation side would build up the, the golden template. They would have all of the configuration uh, done via something like Puppet. They might even go up to the middleware layer, but oftentimes after that point, it then gets handed off to application team or whoever to then handle the, the final piece. And so that's gonna break the, the more immutable ephemeral model um, because there's that initial comp initial part of it, and then there's another part that just doesn't get bolted on. Uh, and so I think that's certainly where Kubernetes has has really taken a hold, is that oftentimes you're getting the, the tighter integration uh, from an operations and application development standpoint in which the application developer can declaratively define 
those components or those pieces and then automatically marry those to what operations has exposed. the I mean it, it is there I mean, at some point this seems still feels like just use Kubernetes is is that a well I mean, if current for, for what you're for what you're describing I mean it, it makes sense that it, it's also Kubernetes esque like dude just I I don't think like for what Rocky was saying, we're going to see people porting legacy stuff to Nick or anything else, unless there's some really concrete benefit. The apps aren't designed for it. They're not, you're not going to throw them into this management. I I, I think that the, the difference is that yes, currently Kubernetes is the, the tool that is best suited for this kind of transformation. Okay. Uh, but so, and, th and that's also reflected in the trend of like of every company wanting to port the workloads to Kubernetes. But I think what Martinez is saying, uh, on, on something, and this also a statement that I wa was making at the beginning is that I can see a reversal of this flow happening. Where so oh. we're, we're saying like we don't need to run this on Kubernetes. But we want Kubernetes like features in in our legacy environments, or and again, I I, I oh. call them legacy, but they really shouldn't be called legacy. Um, so oh. essentially, backporting features of Kubernetes on into the the more classical type of of environments, um, and then having the best of both worlds there. An interesting question along those lines. Um, because y'all are y'all are making me think like part of Kubernetes is there's a degree of overhead and infrastructure to make Kubernetes work. And part and what I what I'm interested in is you know, is there a, a replacement or is there something coming? Um and we're talking about some reasonable use cases where people would would either be thinking past Kubernetes or thinking adjacent. Um, but we also were talking about like Chef up at Nansible before. And I, one of the things that I remember sweeping in here was people looking at Ansible as a way to say, um, we don't, Ansible's lighter weight, right? We don't, we don't need to have all the infrastructure that we built Chef and Puppet to do the work that Ansible is doing. And you could, you could potentially do a, um, agent, Agent Kubelet uh, less um, management system from that perspective. So, in theory, to some of what, um, so some of utilizing Kubernetes as the API or control plane, similar to what Crossplane has done with utilizing Kubernetes uh, declarative object, objects yeah. to be able to provision cloud resources even similar to what Kubevert and some of the others have started to do. The thing where my mind just went was uh, a uh, a product that Chef actually came up with, Chef the, the company, not to be confused <laughs> with the, the project or the, the underlying product was a Habitat, 
And so it was really focused on application definition. And in theory, I could see something like that being uh, added into Kubernetes, specifically focused on application management for virtual machines, uh, in which Kubernetes is the API layer. I'm running VMs under the, the covers, but I'm leveraging many of those same sort of mechanisms for application definition and deployment um, into those environments. Habitat was before its time from that perspective, yes. Habitat, the, the challenge I always saw with Habitat was who their target audience is and is there enough alignment from the the traditional enterprise operations side and the application side of the house. Huh. The operator, the developer blend? Yeah, I mean... In a, in a lot of enterprises, I don't know that there's a, a good understanding from the operation side or the developer side of, of what either party is doing and how they do it to, to have a, a good enough synergy to, to make solutions like Habitat more pervasive. I, it, it was always, I mean, it, it always seemed super cool to me what it could do. It, it, I think there was a little bit more magic with that, but you're right. That's a developer ops. There's a developer ops problem. Too. Well, it's not exactly just a developer problem. It's, as Martez pointed out, the 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 way enterprises are structured such that there is a, yeah, uh, yeah. There, there's a curtain between ops and and the the developers, and neither side on neither group on either side of the curtain gets to see what's under uh, what's behind the curtain. <laughs> I agree. No, there's, there's one of the one of the biggest challenges, and actually one of the, the amazing things about Kubernetes is that it actually has pierced the ops and developer collaboration. No, has it has it pierced the ops developer collaboration piece, or was was it did it end up being a bypass? Maybe this is part of the challenge. I think you're still seeing a lot of the the same old patterns of like developers want Kubernetes. They either stood up a cluster or now the ops side is forced to stand up clusters. And it's almost like, a, here's your cluster, here's your credentials. Oh, will you sort of go? Like, we're going to add in some default policies as much as we can, but like, we we'll leave the rest up to you. The, the yeah, one thing, no, go ahead, Rocky. It's still throwing it over the wall. And the, the especially in, enterprise but in lots of areas uh the the devs still haven't learned that uh they need to expand their vision beyond their their silo and the ops folks want to make their life easier and the devs just are like out there grabbing whatever makes their life easier which makes dev the ops folks life harder so it's mm -hmm. It's a constant war and tug of war. Um, I mean, in my experience, devs don't want to have to manage infrastructure. 
Yes. Uh, and, and ops doesn't want to have to manage the applications. So, so yes, there's still going to be, uh, at the very least, a fence to throw things over, even if it's just like a small picket fence. Um, <laughs> but the, in terms of collaboration, one of the things that where it has become a boon in my experience is that uh, it has allowed ops to be much more consistent in saying that in giving the devs the requirements saying like this is how your application should behave like for example your application should have health checks your application should meet these criteria in terms of uh, consumption in terms of parallelism and so on um which makes them makes it much more manageable once it's thrown over the fence by devs on exactly. the other hand, that like those same uh, requirements means that uh, devs know much earlier what is expected of their application, and it reduces mm -hmm. their death the death life cycle uh, because they no longer write a proof of concept which then needs to be completely rewritten because it it's not prod ready. So the and that's exactly right and what it what it is doing is in some ways is providing devs a spec in a language they can understand code so the spec is expanded to operations and dev is expected to meet those operational specs and that makes life much easier for the ops folks. Yes, very, very much so. And, and, and thank you for getting the right word there, like spec. <laughs> well, I think, I'm thinking. I'm thinking back on the conversation because we didn't. We didn't. Funny because we didn't cover where which I love about this. <laughs> We didn't cover where I was expecting to go <laughs> at all. Uh, I'll put this back on the table and and um, there's there's still a path down the not Kubernetes. We went we went down the 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 path of where does where you know what has Kubernetes taught us? How does that transform um, things? Oh well. Uh, yeah. If we're gonna go that down that route, the the, the not Kubernetes side of things, uh, and it, it it's hard to to come up with a Kubernetes successor, at least given the current landscape, because uh, the, there's still so many so many things that Kubernetes has improved, and that we're still moving towards that we're. Mm -hmm. We're not thinking that far ahead yet, but within the, this context, also like that, the not Kubernetes side. Once the the flow reverses, which is again my prediction, but I, I could be proven wrong. Like if the flow reverses, then we might end up at a point where Kubernetes no longer becomes necessary. I I definitely want to talk. Uh, put put the that on the table because I, I have a different theory. Just I think that the um CRD models that 
crossplane is exposing and not not but it, I I my I have a question behind the scenes of could that be torn out of Kubernetes and we have a CRD version CRD application platform stack for Kubernetes and we have a container management stack for Kubernetes and they actually become like they, they could actually they could have different life cycles different um, use cases and needs i'm gonna think of what the project is there's a, a project that i came across that is focused on essentially removing somewhat of the, the construct of the container orchestration piece and literally just trying to use kubernetes as an api endpoint. i i when i talked to the Crossplane people, they were like, yeah, we don't care about the container management at all. We're just using the CRDs. And I, I, it's I not optimized. That's an optimization. There's not optimized for that. There's a whole bunch of control and management, lifecycle control, and namespacing and stuff that's CRDs still have. I think that's a little bit disingenuous, though. Like, the only reason it's relevant is because of the container orchestration piece, in my opinion. Otherwise, you could just use a Terraform or CloudFormation or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it would certainly be be possible to take the operator pattern and implement it outside of Kubernetes. In which case, yeah, you, you won't need Kubernetes. But what you will need is an event system, and right. you will need to have some way for this operator to have a side stake uh, and you and have your actual state and and, and have a <laughs> right. way of wait, wait, wait. reconciling wait. them. Klaus, I have to go. <laughs> we, we, I have to give up the bridge and go. Um, you're turning my bookmark into the next conversation. We'll come back. To, I'm, I'm glad I broke the bear. <laughs> And we will go back and clearly have that provocative conversation in a future future lunch. Uh, (laughs) We we were all happy in agreement. And then I was like, but, and then everything fell apart, which is perfect. Right. We will come back to that. I'm going to put it on the calendar and talk about it. (laughs) Thank you all. Cheers. Bye. It's fascinating to understand just how deeply embedded these operational patterns that Kubernetes has exposed are. And yet, in our next conversation about this, I really want to go down the path of what happens after Kubernetes. Is there a simpler product? Is Kubernetes destined to break into pieces? Is it destined to be replaced by something else? These questions are going to come up in our next conversation. Please join us at the 2030.cloud. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and 
you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.